Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today, we'll be reviewing Bestiary 2. This is part of our book review series where we review every core book in the Pathfinder RPG. Christian, this is our third official book review, and we're doing another Bestiary. So that's like... 66% bestiaries. That's a good rate. I like it. Good math, Christian. Good it took me job. a second. I think there's repeating sixes in there. <laughs> bestiaries are a core part of your GMing toolkit. I think they're very useful to have, very useful to go over. I think they might be my favorite books. Whenever they come out, I, I buy them right up and I thumb through the pages and look at all the cool new monsters and all the cool new things they can do. There's always certain ones I'm looking for. I'm always looking for clockwork. I'm always looking for dark folk. Is there any type of beast you're looking for whenever these come out? No, because I always prefer the things that don't have a source material. I think the staples mm. are done, but I always prefer something new, something unknown to my players so that when they see it, they're like, what the heck is this? I have no preconception of what to expect here. Yeah, that's always cool, too. So let's talk about how we're going to be reviewing these bestiaries. We're going to talk about the new monster categories that are introduced in this book, and we'll talk about additions to old categories. Then we'll talk about some of the monsters that stood out to each of us, and then we'll finish up with our take on the book and whether or not we recommend it. So this is the fifth official book to be published in the core line of Pathfinder and the second bestiary. So we're going to be looking at some of our old guys first. Let's see what we got going on here. So we get new additions to Angels, Archons, and Azadas. Remember those, Christian? Those were like sort of the celestial beings. They're all good. Some are neutral, some are lawful, some are chaotic. I'm glad to see more entries here. And there's a couple lower CR entries. I always stray from the holy angel themed things because they tend to be very high CR. But there's a couple lower ones in here that are easy to fit in a lower level campaign. Yeah, sometimes the problems with the higher ones is I want to include an angel, but it's so high CR I can only include one. That's just not going to work out well. It's cool when I can add four. We get new demons and devils, which is the chaotic evil and lawful evil counterpart to the celestial beings. Always good to have more entries in our repertoire of basically enemies for most campaigns. Demons and devils are kind of universal enemies to humanity and living. We get new elementals, the ice, the lightning, the magma, and the mud elemental whose art is top notch. Brand new golems, the adamantine, the alchemical, the carrion, the clockwork. The Glass, and the Mithril. Ooh, they got, they, they got some cool ones in there. New Giants, the Marsh, the Rune, the Tega, and the last of the old categories is the Lycanthropes. That's the Werebear, the Wereboar, the Werecat. Werecats weren't in the first one? No. Huh, interesting. So let's look at the new categories. And I've said the word categories. I've just realized I haven't really defined it. When I say categories, I don't mean sort of the outsider, native, animal undead we're talking about the sort of categories that give a brand new page like angels elementals these sort of bigger broader things so let's look at something that i was really hoping to get and i'm glad we got them and that is the aeons this is our true neutral celestial from the book uh the aeons are the faceless caretakers of reality who toil without end trying to keep up the tenuous balance upon which all existence depends uh, they care only about balance, starting with themselves and then moving outward. They just care that all things are balanced. Aesthetically, they're probably the coolest and most interesting of the divine outsiders. Yeah, they are pretty freaky. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about balance, they, they do have the aesthetic balance of being like 
even on both sides. But usually it's like, I have four arms and my body's a galaxy. Okay. They usually appear very nebulous. They have kind of a space theme to them. So the one is simply a, a cloak, but within that cloak is contained what looks like a star field. Uh, one looks almost like an atom. Another new category is the Agatheons. The Agatheons are outsiders. They are divine outsiders, typically from Nirvana, the lawful neutral plane. They all are bestial in aspect. Uh, there's a dog, Agatheon. There is a lady seal slash whale agatheon they're they're all animals of some kind and i think by dog you mean fox because there's a fox one and it is great oh yes the vulpine one definitely one of the more iconic arts from this book <gasps> but christian there's a kitty cat one called a sylvan she what cr2 it's in my next campaign <laughs> it's my gmpc i mean it's a normal npc it's a sleek kitty cat that can grant an, a plus eight enhancement bonus to strength oh my goodness what happened to this cat it's swole <laughs> the daemon we now have the neutral evil one the daemon which is demon with an a enjoy that one there these guys i love the look of them they're always super crazy the luca daemon which by the way they always have daemon in their name or at least almost always it's like this vulture man who's like breathing sand and he's got the like a, a cow skull for a head the thanademon looks like death in terms of alignment, daemons are neutral evil because they just want to annihilate life itself. When things are alive, they just want it to stop doing that. Hey, you, are you living? Could you stop for a second? Please, thank you. <laughs> Please, thanks, bye. Next, we have new dragons. Dragons are in, for the most part, every book. It's always nice to have new dragons. We had started with the chromatic dragons. Now, we have the primal dragons. These include the brine dragon the cloud dragon, the crystal dragon, the magma, and the umbral, the shadowy dragon. Interesting categories, always welcome to broaden the spectrum of dragons and broaden their available alignments. These all vary in alignment. I think the art really is excelling in this one because they sort of really hit the primal feel. Like this is sort of the way the planet sort of looked before anyone even touched it. The magma dragon looks like he's cracking. He's got magma under the skin. The crystal dragon looks like he's made of crystal. If I ever include a dragon, I typically stray for the cooler ones. I consider these the cooler ones. One of the things you always have to look at is like, what is their new breath weapon? The magma dragon's like, you know, I understand the red dragon can breathe fire and it can melt certain stone. I'll just skip that part and I'll just breathe out magma. Is that cool? Okay, you didn't just take fire damage. You're now in a pool of magma. Have fun with that. After dragons, we have the somewhat lesser kin of the dragon, the drake. Drakes are typically just less intelligent dragon-like creatures. Their noticeable aesthetic difference is that they don't have four legs. Their wings are their arms. It seems to me to be an answer to, I want to include dragons, but they're too powerful. Well, I guess not, because you can just use young dragons. I wonder what the, I wonder what role the drakes were supposed to play. I mean, it, it is still a good compromise, because they do have... They're not as intelligent. They're actually kind of bestial. They're... Not super stupid, but they're not particularly smart. The The forest drake just looks like a neck jutting out of its thighs. It's very strange. Yeah, I don't like that one. I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> These guys didn't get an intro page, so I guess they're not as important. There, that happens once in a rare while. This book also introduced gremlins, little mischievous, almost goblinoid-like creatures they are from the Fae, and they are tricksters and pranksters and tiny little strange creatures that like to mess around with humans. 
I hate all of them. They all look terrible, except the Pugwampy, who does look terrible, but I don't hate him because he has a cool ability, which pretty much says, do you roll a d20? Always roll twice, take the worst result. Hey, this is an aura that affects everyone, even your enemies. It's a great way to like spice up an encounter between two people. It's the the not like the Pugwampies versus the players, just like the dragons versus the players or whatever. And then just throw like one Pugwampy sitting up on a hill watching the whole thing. Everybody's like, why do I have to keep re-rolling? The Pugwampy is rather infamous of just being squeezed into encounters and making people really angry. It's a very powerful ability to have to roll twice and take the worst. He's a CR one half. He's got six health. You just got to find him and just throw a rock at him. He got him. But he's got DR2 cold iron. Oh, no. I'm not just packing cold iron wherever I go. How can I overcome it? (laughs) After the gremlins, we have the inevitables. The inevitables are the embodiment of law. They exist to seek out and destroy the agents of chaos. These are more outsiders. The inevitables all have kind of a clockwork theme. They all look uh, mechanic or robotic in nature. Were they born that way or were they made by some gods? During the wars with the outsiders, they were created. They were constructed by the lawful deities. The inevitable subtype states that inevitables are construct-like outsiders built by the axiomites to enforce law. They do act a lot like constructs. They have a lot of abilities that give them immunity to construct abilities. Next, we have the Nightshades. They are a mysterious form of necrotic abominations composed of equal parts darkness and ineffable evil. Nightshades are extra planar. They come from another plane of darkness to come mess with us. In general, they are covered in cloying shadows and they have very obtuse shapes. The one guy's super buff though, dang. Look at those pecs. Dude, do you see the night wave? Yeah, I see the night wave. I, w- I really wish it was not a CR20 creature. <laughs> oh, you're about to hear why. It's a flying shark made of shadow stuff. A colossal undead shark. My goodness. Turns everything cold around it. If it swallows you whole, you gain two negative levels each round. I feel like that's the least of my problems if I'm swallowed whole by a flying shark shadow undead monster. <laughs> Wow, that thing looks awesome, though. They did. They surpassed themselves with that art. As the Inevitables were beings of law, we now have the Proteans, which are beings of pure chaos. Most of them have a serpentine look to them. They're all chaotic neutral. They are pure chaotic neutral. And they're kind of weird looking. They have very strange abilities that involve random chance. They have like a 50% chance to just ignore critical hits or sneak attacks. I like their serpentine look. Everybody probably knows I am a fan of serpents, especially the Kekatar, which I guess laughs all the time. They all have very interesting abilities. I'll say that mechanically, they all tend to have very interesting reshaping or confusion abilities. Next, we have the Quillops. Uh, before evil could be like refined into demons and stuff, from the great beyond came these weird primordial versions of evil. They look Lovecraftian in nature. Kind of like the great old ones, but they're not super high CR. A lot of them are very manageable. And the little bat things even kind of gets a little cute in a horrible come to destroy my mind from beyond kind of way. A few other things to note. We've got dinosaurs here. We've, we've got some animal companions, a few familiars. We get new player races. We get the Dampire, the Fetchling, the Gripply, the Ifrit, 
the O-Reed, the Sylph, and the Undyne. The Ifrit art looks like it was pulled from a D&D volume. This could not possibly be the same artist as most of the rest of this book. But the O-Reed looks fantastic. Some simple templates are in the back of the book to help you customize monster. It's like Celestial or Giant. These are cool to be able to beef up some lower CR monsters, and there's ones that will help you reduce some higher CR. So there's the Young template that will reduce something by one CR. Very excellent introduction. Templates are a great way to easily and quickly modify monsters, which can be a problem without them. I'm glad they were introduced here. I don't think templates were introduced, but these templates, templates for monsters were introduced here. The young template, the greatest counter to gunslingers. Make them small, give them more dexterity. Suddenly gunslingers having a problem. So before this book came out, we only had five of the nine alignment-based outsiders. Now this introduced four more. So now we have the whole spectrum of all nine outsiders based on alignment. I like that. Cool. I'm actually probably most interested in the daemons. But the three neutrals are cool, too. Well, now we've gotten on to what really is probably my favorite part about reviewing these books, where we get to talk about some of our favorite beasts. And I want to start us off alphabetically, because that's how I ordered my list. Must be losing my my talents, because I don't think Christian's laughed at a single joke I've made this episode. Oh, is that a joke? <gasps> my heart! How dare you, sir? I was just thinking of the logistics, like, are we going to go back and forth? And you said things, and were they funny? You tell me they were funny, I'll laugh. They were laugh. They were, they were laugh. <laughs> they were laugh. That's great, Caleb. The one time I can make you laugh is me misspeaking. Classic, Caleb. <laughs> what are we on a, a sitcom? That's Caleb. I wink and like the screen goes circles out on me. The crypt thing is a CR5 undead. Shreds of leathery flesh cling to the skeletal figure's body, while twin motes of fiery light glow deep in its eye sockets. Let me tell you about these guys. When I discovered them, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing with these dudes. They have something called teleporting burst. They teleport creatures randomly. When I say randomly, I mean randomly. You come up on these guys, you spook them, they cry out, they use their teleport burst. You roll a 1d8 for each player to see which direction they get teleported to, and then you roll a d10, and that's times 100 feet how far away they're going to go. This is awesome. You put him at the like the, the end of maybe a simple dungeon, players get to him, and of course they're sticking together unless they're terrible players, and then he just sends them off in nine different directions, and now they're all in different parts of the dungeon. Some maybe they haven't explored before and are trying to deal with things. Put multiple of these guys roaming dungeons around. This is going to be crazy. And I use it to great effect. They're really fun. I think I ended up teleporting like one of my players into the end part of the dungeon. Where he's like, oh, I guess I got the secret sword. All right, let's go. <laughs> but then, of course, he had passed all the traps. And now he's going backwards on traps. It was just very interesting. They're very low CR. They don't really do much damage. They've got like dimension door so they can hop around. Oh, they have quickened dimension door. This thing, you got to give this thing an item that it's trying to run away with. It can only do that teleport thing once a day, which is important to mention, but definitely a really interesting encounter. Even at high levels, I think these guys could be interesting. If you throw in a bunch of them, players just have to try to kill them all quick enough. We, we killed six of them, but there were seven. Now we're all separated. Well, while we're on the theme of undead, unlike Caleb's well-structured list, I just kind of went through and said, hmm, I like this one. I like this one. I like the Revenant. The Revenant is an undead, a shambling corpse that is twisted and mutilated. The entire idea of the Revenant, like most undead, is what happened to it in life, to it to become dead. 
the revenant is someone that was murdered and someone that was murdered horribly and their hatred for their murderer is so strong that they came back from the grave and exist now as an entity solely to seek out their murderer and enact revenge on them. I think it is a very powerful storytelling tool with The Revenant. Players are going to ask if they know about it, well, who killed this person? Maybe they don't know who actually murdered them. Who are they looking for? Uh, maybe they're not a good person. But if their Revenant is going after someone that the party is aligned against, they won't care who the Revenant was in their life. They have an interesting weakness in that if you confront a Revenant with a mirror, they are so agonized by what they have become that they become helpless for a short while interesting that's one of those great ways where if you you want to give your players good rewards for their knowledge checks you can always do that well he's got dr he's got this little bits but it's always great you can be like now i know about this creature we need to bring a mirror to this this next fight they use a revenant in rise of the rune lords to good effect it was a very interesting dynamic to have an enemy, what is effectively an enemy, but has no reason to hurt the party unless they get in its way. Unless they are the person that that Revenant is seeking out or somehow stopping the Revenant from seeking that person out, it will ignore them. Hmm, interesting. Maybe have a Revenant going after someone the PCs have to protect. Next on my list is the Chrismal. He's a CR3 creature, an animated cluster of translucent crystals shaped disturbingly like a gemstone scorpion scuttles into aggressive stance. Um, this is a rainbow crystal scorpion, Christian. That's all you need to know. Oh, he's adorable. Isn't he great? He can launch his tail like a spike, get that range attack going on, get them snapper snappers for that melee attack. But listen to this, dude. Listen to this. I, I meant to say these dudes, and I called you a dude. Listen, you dude. You can call me dude. All right, dude. All right, bro. All right, brah. <laughs> these guys are just mommies. They seek out crystals and fashion little versions of themselves that grow up and become crystals. That's all they are. You're telling me they're self-replicating jewelry? I need to yes. get me some of these. Yeah, they're, they're small jewelry, so they're kind of they're the size of a halfling, and they're trying to sting you with their big tail. But they're like, hey, that's a nice necklace. I'm a true neutral creature. I don't give a crap about you, but that necklace is nice. I need to make little babies. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to decapitate you. Sorry, but it's just the quickest way to get that necklace off. They get a few spells like dimension door, sanctuary, and touch of idiocy, but they're just, a, they're, they're, it's good to have, like you said, those low CR creatures that can be kind of fun. And it's got the, the nice little backstory of it. I like them. And I think they look really, really cool, which I may, I'm going to make a conscious effort guys. I know I'm already, I'm already off to a bad start to not say the art is cool. Let's just assume most of the art's pretty nice. I feel like in this audio podcast, it's not helping. It's so cool, but it looks cool. Have you seen it? Have you? <laughs> Next creature I got is the Mothman, more well known as the Moth Boy. It is the creature of West Virginian folklore that you have seen a bad movie about, probably a bad TV show about. I've seen the Mothman. He's messing with my mind. I, 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 if I didn't know that it was part of folklore, I would have said this was a Stephen King creation. Yes. The idea of a Mothman in Pathfinder is that he is an agent of of destiny, of fate. A, a Mothman simply exists to make sure fate is flowing in the correct direction. What the correct direction is, is entirely up to the GM. They're relatively low CR. They're CR6. They are very, very powerful. Not in the sense that it can kill the PCs very easily. It's not very physically strong, but it has a lot of very powerful spells and spell-like abilities. It can modify people's memories of events it has greater invisibility it has very powerful illusions it has the ability to make people fall under its command i can see it as a recurring 
almost faceless villain in a campaign that is not necessarily working against the PCs, but obviously appears so. They are very menacing looking. They are a shroud of dark wings in a thin humanoid shape with two monstrous glowing eyes. Any sort of like cryptid based campaign. And like you said, it's sort of incidental. Like we somehow have come across its path and now we're going to keep interacting with it. And now, we're, oh, now this mystery, we're trying to figure out this mystery and we're slowly learning this isn't an Illuminati thing. This isn't a, a, a conspiracy based on the mob. This is something entirely supernatural. To note the Mothman, that they're Mothmen, they're multiple. There's not just one. It doesn't really say where they come from, uh, but there's not just a single Mothman. Good, I'm glad they don't say where it's come from and you're going to keep that mystery. I'm going to talk about the Caco Daemon. This is one of the daemons. You can tell by the way they throw daemon into the word of the name of every Caco Daemon. He's a CR2 creature. An ever-gnashing maw filled with row after row of mismatched teeth dominates this frightful creature's orb-like body. I know I just talked about how I'm not going to be like, the art's fantastic. That's how I sound, by the way. <laughs> but this one's entirely based on its art. This is the Caco Demon from Doom. It's drawn like the Caco Demon from Doom, and I love it. But they didn't just stop there. If it bites you, it can infect you with its disease, which allows it to communicate with you telepathically. That's a nightmare situation. Having a daemon in your head, that sounds like the worst. Their job is to eat people and then turn their souls into gems, their little soul gem factories. They're very cool for just being a small CR2 creature. And they just look so nasty. If you've played Doom, you've seen the Caco Daemon. I had another player when I was playing a campaign once who was a cleric archetype where they got a Caco Demon as their familiar. And they were also worshipping a deity of, like, insanity. So he voluntarily let the Caco Demon bite him and infect him so he could become more insane. Next on my list is the Dust Digger. This is essentially the Sarlacc Pit from Star Wars. It is a tentacled, mauled creature that lives in the sand. Specifically, it hides in the sand, waits for people to walk over the sand it's dug under, and tries to swallow them. It's only a CR4 creature. Whenever I have somewhere with sand, I have used this historically. I think it's a very clean and eloquent mechanical representation of a burrowing monster come to eat you up without being overbearingly strong. Guess what, Christian? We have a new dark folk in this book, the Dark Slayer. The Dark Slayer, a CR3 creature. This small humanoid is clothed in tattered rags from head to foot. Only its sinister eyes and pale hands are visible. These guys are dark folk, which are casters. They get a kukri attack with a poison and can get temporary hit points for hitting you. But their, their main thing is they got a small list of spells, like bleed and stuff like that. And let's look, what's their death throws? It's got to be cool. Come on, what is it? These guys implode instead of explode. And you get like a sonic damage and deafen. To me, it's like they're they're absolutely like destroying or, or manipulating the like the air pressures. Everything implodes into itself. It's like oh, you're you're doing that archer thing when you're putting your hand up to your meep meep meep, <laughs> trying to hear. It's, it, I would like things that just don't do straight damage. This is sonic damage. Okay, yeah, we gotta do damage. It's a it's a beast, but you're deafened. This is if you know your creatures before you hit them. You're like maybe we take care of this guy last, so we're not deafened while we're trying to fight the other guys. Their background is that they are trying to take the place of the Darkstalkers, and they don't do much to hide it. They'll send them to their death, even if it's for like a very small advantage. They're looking for magic trinkets. They love them. Quote, they covet them above all else. Sadly, their obsessive need to fiddle and tinker often leaves their pretties broken or depleted. Aw, sad face. But they'll just like, we want to be the new leaders. Darkstalker, go this very important mission. Yes, a new clockwork watch. I love it. Amazing. 
Oh, it's broken. <laughs> they have like this persistent tremor in their hands that's only still been fiddling with a new magic item. I know I like these guys. There's a lot of cool info here for uh, CR3 creature. That's what I like about these books. They do, whether it's CR3 or CR20, they usually put enough in there. Sometimes they're like limited on space because there's so many stats and stuff. But usually I like how they, they put good attention to each creature. And instead of like all the, they're, they're, they're not stupid. Unlike all the other dark folk, which are like, well, I guess it's time for my ninth layer of clothes because my other layers messed up. They're like, no, just we discard our old rags. We're not just lumps of clothes, dudes. Come on, let's go. Tide Pod Challenge. Let's move. <laughs> all right, let me just pop these in here. Turn on the TV. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just heating up some Totino's pizza rolls and getting ready to watch the big game. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, put on your favorite jersey, grab some dice, and join us. Alright Christian, I got some chips and some sandwiches, but there's still one thing I don't understand. You said we were going to get to see some players beat up on each other, but I haven't seen them even break out the dice yet. Caleb, you know this is a real-life football game, right? We're not about to watch a bunch of guys play an RPG. I mean, who would want to just sit and listen to a bunch of guys play an RPG? Yeah, who, who, would, who would want to do that? My last monster was based in sand. My next monster is also based in sand. It's the Sandman. Now, it prompted me to look up what the Sandman was in actual folklore, because I was never really sure. It's a Swedish tale where, like, a little guy in a little sleepy cap comes by and throws sand in your eye, which helps you sleep and have good dreams. And when you wake up, when you got, you got the Sandman sand in your eye from your nice dreams. But that's not the fact of it at all. It's just boogies in your eye and it's gross and disgusting. Sandman and Pathfinder are evil outsiders that are typically summoned by evil sorcerers to kill people. As per their name, they put people to sleep. Doesn't really say why, but they do. They are actually just beings of sand. So they are actually a whirring cloud of sand that comes toward you. If you get anywhere near these things, it's possible you go to sleep. If you get hit by this thing... It's possible you go to sleep. If you get hit by one of its spells, it's possible you go to sleep. It's only a CR3 creature, but being put to sleep is obviously very powerful in Pathfinder. Sets you up to be coup de grade. It says that they prefer to kidnap people before pulling them away, but it sometimes just kills them because it's evil, because it doesn't have to explain itself. It's a pile of sentient sand. Christian, did you say to me you're not sure why something called the Sandman is putting people to sleep? Well, no, I understand the folklore. But in, in the way this is represented, they're like, they're from an extra planer and they're made of sand. And also the sand makes you go to sleep for no particular reason. Christian, it's called the Sandman. I know it's called the Sandman, but we just accept that. We, we just accept it and we don't question it. And we're like, Sam puts you to sleep. But why? Why does it do that? Stop being sheep, people. <laughs> Wake up. You can't because there's sand in your eyes. <laughs> I would love, like, a desert battle when, like, you keep coming across these. It's like, I just want to go to sleep so bad. Oh, no, 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 don't fall asleep, John. I'm so tired. All we do is every time we go to fight, there's, there's more of these dudes. I, f I find interesting the idea. It says that only the desperate mages summon these. And it's obviously because once you summon it, when it's near you, you have to immediately make a save to not fall asleep. So it's possible you summon it 
and immediately fall asleep and you've basically offered yourself to be killed by this thing. Well, my next one is the Alchemical Golem. It's a CR9 creature. A rickety construction of glass tubing, metal, and wood convey the brain and two eyes afloat in this figure's glass skull. These guys have bombs like you expect alchemists. But the cool thing about it is that when the bombs explode, you roll dice to see what kind of elemental damage they do. If they do melee damage to you, you roll to see what extra points of elemental base damage they do because you just got all sorts of different concoctions in them. And if you do damage to them, they sort of spray out a little splash damage, which is one damage of what? Guess what, Christian? A random element. This is really, really cool. I love the idea of the, the randomness of these guys. They're so cobbled together. The art here has them like leaking out different color fluids and needles with different color fluids. It's neat. Makes it a little, a little harder to plan against them. It's nice to have that kind of randomness sometimes. Listen, I like Hearthstone. I like RNG. <laughs> Next on my list is the Shining Child. Surrounded by a nimbus of near blinding light, this strange creature looks something like an emaciated child with clawed hands. This is another thing that its origin isn't really explained. They're simply extra planar, super duper evil creatures that can get summoned to the material plane. They are CR-12 and they're very powerful. The whole idea is that they shoot blinding beams of light at you that both burn and blind you. I like them mechanically. I really like the Shining Child as a mechanical differentiation in your standard fights. It's a very small creature. It flies around. It doesn't just attack you. It's doing touch attacks. So it's shooting these burning rays at you that are touch attacks they do a lot of damage they continue to damage you you're kind of on fire from the light after being hit by one of these rays but there's a very intuitive solution to the dot that they leave on you the damage over time effect and that if you leave to an area of darkness the light stops burning you hmm. they have a simply blinding aura if you're anywhere near them you have to save or be blinded so i just find them as a very memorable fight even though they're only CR 12, it is very possible that this thing is going to wreck your party if enough people save the blind, if enough people have low touch AC, it, this thing hurts, and it even has some spell-like abilities. And the fact that their origin is not known, the GM really has the ability to make up whatever they want, why it's there, what its goal is. I don't use the light rules very often, and because of that... It gives me an opportunity, and I think many GMs an opportunity, to use light in battles to make that a specific mechanic to make a encounter stand out. And it sounds like that's a way you can use that for these guys. And banking off of that, my next one is the Hellcat. This is a CR7 creature. This eerie beast appears to be the animated skeleton of a huge fanged cat, its bones glowing with fire and seething with smoke. This thing looks like an undead saber-toothed tiger on fire. It is nasty. This thing is invisible in bright light. I cannot possibly construe reading all of the lore here and all of the stats why exactly that is. They make it's it's really hard. It's a, you're, you're stretching me a bit far. No one can, Caleb. <laughs> they are the proprietors <laughs> of the feat Hellcat Stealth, which allow a player to do the exact same thing. Try describing why your human rogue can just be like, oh, later, guys. It's really bright here. But I want to now put these together in an encounter with Shining Child and different light levels in the encounter because they get concealment stuff based on different levels of light. But these dudes don't hunt for food. They hunt for fun. It talks about sometimes they like just eating things. They like the feel of it in their mouth, but they don't need it. 
They just like hunting. It's fun for them. It's like the cat that goes outside, sees the bird, and goes after it because it's in its nature. I want to read a quote here. The Hellcat is only clearly visible in dim light at these times, appearing as a skeletal dire tiger with hellish flames burning and flickering along the surface of its bones. Despite this eerie appearance, the Hellcat is neither undead nor an elemental creature. The fires are actually its blood coursing through transparent flesh. So yet another time when the art is completely different than the description. It's the same with the Hellhound. I actually am not super interested in the Hellcats compared to the Hellhounds. I've never used a Hellcat, but I felt obligated because it's kind of like the Hellhound to talk about it. And because Christian told me not to, so I had to do it. (laughs) But fire for blood in your veins is kind of cool. The next creature I want to talk about is called the Hound of Tindalos. It's a CR7 creature. This gaunt, long-limbed quadruped has huge, soulless eyes and a toothly maw. The lean creature moves with a predatory grace. Hounds of Tilados are otherworldly predators from beyond the bounds of known reality, usually appearing only when summoned by reckless spellcasters. Little is known about their nature outside of blood-spattered notes and deranged writings of the nearly insane survivors of their attacks. Although possessed of great cunning and cruel intellect, the hounds show no evidence of understanding or communicating with mortals. They enter the physical world on their own in pursuit of those who have trodden too much the netherways beyond time and reality. Time travelers, be it physical travel or simply divinatory glimpses forward or backward in time, and creatures that teleport without regard to how this movement impacts subtle magical currents in the multiverse particularly draw their interest. That paragraph just sent my mind reeling. I Even if you're not doing a time traveling campaign, even if you're not doing a campaign where people are jumping between the planes, there's a chance that you're going to have your players use teleport, especially the higher level you get in a campaign. And imagine it's like you, you just have a set number. Like if my players use teleport 20 times, the hounds of Tindal, Tindalos, my goodness, this is a weird name. And it's weird on purpose, are going to catch their scent. They're going to be like, that's it, you're done. They, they like take that one step farther. They have a, a trait called angled entry. They can greater teleport pretty much anywhere at will as long as the destination is a corner. Curved architecture or open outdoor environments don't work. That's really really cool now i want to make like a maze where there's only like three or four corners and the players are trying to like escape through it and the hounds are chasing them and they have to like get to different points because if we get to this point at least he can't come out of the wall because it's curved i need to make an encounter with these guys oh and by the way just by looking at it it does 5d6 slashing damage it has ripping gaze this thing's a monster it's got haste, slow, dimensional anchor, invisibility at will. Locate creature, Christian. It is also constantly under the effects of airwalk. I kind of want to throw this thing. You know that painting where it's like sideways staircases and doors that don't make sense? I want to have yes. a fight there with this thing. Definitely. These guys are awesome. I have to use these dudes so bad. They're only CR7, but they have enough abilities where I feel like if you have multiple ones of them, it wouldn't be too big of a deal of you to throw a couple at just to make a challenge for higher level players. Yeah. And of course, I have a soft spot for any Eldritch-inspired creature. Next for me is the Quickwood, aka Mr. Mean Tree. Were it not for the image of a sinister face peeking out from its dark gray bark, this would look like another ragged oak tree. This is simply a carnivorous tree, but it is a very well done carnivorous tree. It's huge, first of all. It is actually huge size, and it has the lunge feet, and for some reason its attacks have 60 foot reach. Whole idea is that its roots reach out, 
and they hit you and they have the pull ability, meaning they make a combat maneuver check and they start pulling you closer every time they hit you with a root. Obviously, this is a very powerful creature. It could reach you from across the forest, pull you in and then eat you. It has swallow whole. It has teeth that I can bite you with. It's very hard to fight, but it is the perfect thing that teaches your players that running away is a perfectly valid option. <laughs> Believe it or not, the tree does not move very fast. Despite reaching very fast, you can just run the heck away from it. It also rewards players for things like knowledge checks and skill checks. You can simply avoid this thing if someone notices it, sees that, hey, wait, that tree has a face. Let's get away <laughs> from it. And also rewards you for doing a knowledge check on it to know that it has spell absorption. If you try to cast a spell, offensive spell on this, it has the potential to absorb it and then basically shoot it back at you. The more types of evil trees I can throw into my sinister forest, the better. <laughs> I need my players not to know what it is by looking at it. I'm like, I don't know. There's nine different monster trees. What's happening? I don't know. This one's the face. Click, click, click. Go through the book. Go through the book. Oh, wait. Now I'm entangled. You can have a beast cherry just full of the different kinds of evil trees there are. Beast Jerry ate the trees. The tree <laughs> dragon has a special kind of wooden dragon. Did somebody say dragon? Christian, turn the page. What do you see? You see an undead dragon, the Ravener, essentially the Dracolich. CR 22, this immense skeleton dragon rears up to its full towering height, bones glowing and shimmering with vile green energy. Christian, you've heard the saying, you can't take it with you. Well, that hits the dragons very, very hard because their whole life is about amassing wealth. And like, I've got my little treasure pile. Let me sleep on it. Mm, I'm so happy. Wait, when I die, where does the treasure go? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I'm staying and I'm going to pursue Lichdom. And now no one can take away my treasure because it's here forever. It has a soul ward, which is pretty much something he shunts damage to and can refill its HP with its different abilities that do damage to you. So he draws energy from this soul ward to cast his spells. It's like a field of siphon soul energy. So he's taking your soul energy and anyone comes across him to feed his powers to help. Oh, if you're going to hurt me, let me just uh, let me just put that over there. I don't care about this. These soul <laughs> energies. Just, it's it's really a good like sinister vibe. It's perfect for what a dragon would do. I like it. It's got lich sort of type spells. It's not exactly a lich. It doesn't have like a type that that gives it like the, the paralyzing touch and all that. It's a little bit different, but it's the same idea. And it's a template, so you can add it to any dragon you want. The stats here are for a red dragon, but pick a dragon. And there's a lot of dragons, especially with the, all the beasts that come out. Oh my goodness, the one that they have there has time, stop, and wish on its spell list. I wish people would leave my gold alone! You better believe there's a dog in this book. You better believe that dog made it to my list. We got the blink dogs. Blink dogs were always a really weird idea. The first time I ever encountered one, I was so confused at the whole idea... A blink dog is simply a dog for the most part. Looks like a dog. The sleek canine has a coarse, tawny coat, pointed ears, and pale eyes. A faint blue nimbus seems to dance upon its fur. They are intelligent. They are lawful good in nature. They're good boys. As called blink dogs, they're simply magical beasts. They're not actually outsiders. They're just magical. They just have innate abilities to teleport, and they're constantly under the effect of blink, meaning they are not wholly in our reality. They kind of blink back and forth. Other than them being dogs, what I really like about them is that there's this lore that there is this basically secret war between the Blink Dogs and the Phase Spiders, and they hate oh, each no. other, and they want to stop oh, them. No. And I just love the idea that you can have this totally uncorrelated random side story come up where, like, your player's walking around, and this dog shows up, and you're like, oh, 
Who are you? Why are you here, dog? I'm here to save you from the spiders. What? What spiders? That spider. Oh my goodness, there's a spider right there. And then he just <laughs> start fighting. And then they leave to never be seen again. Hey, Christian? Yeah. The art is terrible. Yeah. That's right. I said it's it. It's not good. It is not good. This is probably the worst art in the book. Oh, well, it's up there. I'm sure there's better. Someone's done them justed. No, actually, checking Google. There's not, there's not many good arts of the blink top. That's because they're stupid and everything you like is stupid. The Sin Spawn, a CR2 creature, this hairless humanoid lurches on back bent dog like legs. It's no, I can't get away from dogs. Its hideous <laughs> mouth flanked by tiny arms with three fingered hands. These are simple melee monsters, but here's the cool part about them. There's seven different versions of them based on the seven deadly sins. And each of these get sort of stat bonuses based on their sins. So like the Envy Spawn gets a plus two strength, the minus two to charisma. The Lust Spawns gets a plus four to charisma, minus two to con, minus two to wisdom. Blah, 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 blah. And with each one, they tell you pretty much the class that you should be adding levels to it. The Envy Spawn often becomes Rangers. The Glutton Spawn often becomes Fighters. The Wrath Spawn often become Barbarians. Kind of strange. You don't. It's a monster you have to do work on to make it work. Because if you just do the basic sense bond, like I made the mistake of doing in Trailblazer Season 1, they just get rinsed. You're supposed to pick them, modify the stats based on their sin, and then give them some levels in a class. A little bit of work, but I, it's kind of cool. I like the idea of you have to go hunt out the seven deadly sins, and here they are personified. But what they can do that's based off of the deadly sins is they can literally sniff out the sin that they're uh, attuned to. So like the lust spawn has sent only against creatures that sort of commit the sin of lust. And their bite attack sickens you, then it staggers you as you're overwhelmed with sinful thoughts. You know what? Patty from accounting was pretty attractive. <laughs> I didn't want to admit it to myself. I've been married for 20 years, happily married, but I'm just saying. She's pretty nice. Oh, what? Oh, we're in the middle of battle. Right. Interesting little bit. It's a lot of work, and I usually get be serious, so I don't have to do work, so... Eh. But interesting enough to know anyway. If you like the sin theme to them, the Seven Deadly Sins, that's actually a theme explored a lot in Thassalonia, the land before Glorion. A couple of the adventure paths involve Sin Spawn, involve the leaders. Each of the Seven Deadly Sins is actually tied to a school of magic. So I think gluttony is, say, conjuration, because you're lazy and you just teleport yourself around and summon yourself food. <laughs> Wrath is like evocation, because you're just angry and you blast stuff with fire. And all the leaders of the land before Galorion, all the most powerful spellcasters, embodied one of those sins, but also that school of magic, so they're very powerful. Obviously, Rise of the Ruined Lords is something that uses sin spawn and the whole sin mechanic very well. Oh, I never knew that. I wrote down here the carnivorous blob. I don't usually do oozes and blobs. I think they're rather uninteresting. I think this one is pretty neat. Is it an ooze girl? It is. It can be if you really wanted to. I don't know why you would ever want that to be the case. But yes, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. It is a colossal ooze. It is a CR 13, so it's quite powerful. There's another thing, kind of like the Sard, that I really like in that you can't just walk up and fight this thing. Carnivorous Blob wants to eat things around it, any living matter. Whenever it takes damage, it reflectively lashes out with an attack, and it effectively acts like an attack of opportunity, but they can do it any number of times. So if you try to just walk up and attack this thing, it is going to absolutely wreck you. <laughs> And then it absorbs your flesh as it hits you, so it actually gets healing every time it deals damage to something with flesh. 
I, I think of the carnivorous blob much more as a puzzle type monster, something you put in the way of the players and they really got to figure out how they're going to approach or circumvent this challenge in their way. Cause you're certainly not going to walk up and fight the carnivorous blob. You got to figure out what you can well, do. Well, you about will. It. You just will never do it twice. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to find out their weaknesses. You got to find out, you know, what, what's an ooze do? I don't really even know. Are they girls? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> can I treat it nice until it learns to love me? <laughs> Can we join an anime together? A harem anime with centaur girls and driders? <laughs> but if you are the kind of person that wants to try and wreck your party and just spring this on them, if a carnivorous blob does not eat in a certain amount of time, it kind of goes into its base state. Its base state is just a puddle of blood and offal and gore. So your players can walk up like on a battlefield. They can walk into a room and be like, what the heck happened here? It's really nasty. And then the carnivorous blob senses flesh nearby and reconstitutes itself i always like to use this i don't know they're simple but they're interesting i've seen even low cr oozes do like once you fail the one save though they do what they do and it can be nasty i don't know i thought they're a simple interesting that actually i don't like them because they're not simple oozes got a lot of immunities they usually have a lot of rules to remember this one in particular has like eight different defensive abilities <laughs> Okay, well, just Christian just contradicted me on our live podcast. That's fine. Well, <laughs> so it just embarrassed me in front of all of our listeners. That's cool. No. Yeah, well, this is fine. Just all my listeners now like you better than me. That's fine. <laughs> it's cool. That doesn't, it's not. All that's keeping me going. Ooze has a bad will save. So keep that in mind. And it can't be tripped. So watch out. <laughs> so watch out. Oh, that was what I was going to do. <laughs> the first thought when I saw this blob was. Let's make it prone. <laughs> Let's get that thing Tip on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the soulbound doll, a CR2 creature, the doll's glass eyes glisten with unmistakable curiosity as it comes to life with a fluid grace. A fragment of a soul's creature is put into a doll. Here they have two pieces of art right next to each other, a sort of Pinocchio-style little girl in a dress is made to look human, and then another one carved out of wood that sort of is African inspired, maybe a little like Hawaiian tiki. I like, I actually really, really like that they gave you the two options. At least that'd be like, they're always mannequins and that's what they are forever. But the idea is that you, you're putting a little bit of somebody's soul, maybe that you lost, or there's, there's infinite amount of story reasons to try to bring somebody back, but you can't do it completely. So you just put as much as you can into this doll. Maybe somebody lost a little girl, so they put them into their doll. I think it's endless amount of stories. Many of them have probably already been told, but if you like that and you want to tell it too, now you've got this version here. And the cool thing about this is that even though they're constructs, they're susceptible to mind-affecting effects because they've got a little bit of soul in them. It's like, I like, like little exceptions like that. But I also mentioned these because we're going to see more of these soul-bound something in the future. So this is sort of setting up the, the base of it. I can't wait to talk about those. Those are really cool. It's perfect for your R.L. Stein Goosebumps campaign. Ooh. <laughs> Don't. the f Christian, you son of a gun. The flashbacks. <laughs> Slappy was, was – he's a nightmare. Christian. The, the CR is too low for Slappy, okay? He deserves way more than this. Oh, man. Now, now I'm going to do a Slappy thing. <laughs> You've just – you know what? I'm going to, after I do this, I'm pointing my players here so they can blame you. <laughs> Slappy was terrifying. I hate Slappy so much. <laughs> Sounds like you had to, you had to point done. deeper in your past, Caleb. <laughs> Whatever intense trauma. I can hear his laugh in my head right now. Can you please move on? Hey, Danny. Do you want to play some D&D tonight? Oh, I can't. My parrot's going to have open heart surgery again. That sucks. Yeah, it's going to be super boring. Hang in there, Danny. She'll pull through. 
But remember, when you can't play, listen. At Tales from the Lich, we do our best to provide an immersive RPG play session with an ever-expanding library. When you can't play, listen. TalesFromTheLich.com The next I have is the Faceless Stalker. This hairless, leathery biped has a face dominated by grotesque and unsettling whorls and slits instead of actual features. The Aboliths, which are the kind of great before-the-gods fish people that are super evil, they tried to make spies to spy on the air breathers up top, and they made the Faceless Stalkers. The Faceless Stalkers started scheming against the Aboliths. The Aboliths found out, and the Faceless Stalker said, cheese it, and ran up to the surface. They're only a CR4, and the whole idea is that the Faceless Stalker can reconstruct its own features, its own face, its own proportions to mimic the visage of any person. They basically can disguise themselves as any humanoid that they want. It just takes 10 painful minutes of them reconstructing their own bodies. Uh, once they do, though, they can pretend to be that person very effectively. Really nice to have a hidden enemy intrigue theme going in your campaign. You have something like there is a spy or something like try and find out who the faceless stalker really is. This is a great enemy to use for that. I immediately want a town full of shape changers like, you know, the Faceless Stalker, the Changeling. The Brain Boys. Mm, well, let's not call yeah. them that. Well, yeah. <laughs> They'll be there, though. And, like, they're all, like, nobody knows that the other races are there. They think they're the only ones tricking everybody, but they're all tricking each other. There's actually no real humans or people there. <laughs> it's the, everyone on Reddit is a bot, but you, <laughs> every person in this town is some creature disguised. As a human, I think the Faceless Stalker is really interesting as a solo enemy that is, you know, hiding amongst nobles, hiding amongst a group. I think Faceless Stalkers are also a really good throwaway enemy. A lot of Pathfinder challenge comes from a lot of fights per day. I think Faceless Stalkers in groups pretending to be other people is a great way to squeeze a few extra fights in a day. They're abolists, they're evil, you don't have to do much explaining as to why they're trying to attack the party, why they're doing evil things. Christian, you hear that? What was that? Huh? Let me check my phone. Is there another alert? Christian, watch out! You've been... The Thunderbird. Christian, this enormous bird has feathers, the color of a stormy sky, a resemblance enhanced by the lightning that dances over its body. This is a CR-11 creature. This is a newly discovered creature for me, and I am overjoyed I've discovered it. This thing is awesome. And it has a constant storm around it for 100 feet, which has all sorts of effects. Severe winds that make it hard to use ranged weapons or even move close to it. You move closer, you're just going to keep getting pushed back. Halflings don't even try. You take damage just trying to get to this thing from the wind. Even if you're on the ground, the wind is so powerful you'll be making checks. Random lightning bolts will hit every 1d4 rounds that do... Oh, let me just check real quick. 12d6 points of damage! And as a standard action, he can just hurl a lightning bolt that does 66 electric and 66 sonic, and you're stunned, and you're deafened. I'm doing this every round. This thing would be an awesome aerial encounter on his own. One of the few creatures that just send one and the whole party against him, and it's not imbalanced. He won't be wrecked. He's got all these different things attached to him that he just, he makes the battlefield. Something as empty as the sky that can be difficult to make the terrain interesting, he makes it interesting. I want a bunch of guys on hippogriffs trying to kill a thunderbird. This is amazing. Christian at will, it can control the weather. 
my next creature also has a similar theme of lightning and controlling the weather. It's called the Sard. This is a CR 19 creature, and I don't typically go for the higher CR creatures. I don't care much for them, but I think this one is particularly interesting. This wriggling and leafless tree moves on spidery legs. Flickering motes of blood-red lightning dance in the cracks of its bark. Sometimes there's a big old tree in the material plane, and sometimes the fae are just like, eh, let's just strike that thing with magical lightning. Bazap! Now you got this colossal, gigantic tree infused with the mischievousness of the first world and the power of lightning, and it just starts rampaging across the countryside. You have this tree that has smoking embers in it from the lightning that struck it that is angry and destroying everything. It has the ability to cast many lightning-themed spells, lightning bolt, chain lightning. It can make whirlwinds. It can cast Storm of Vengeance. Christian? Yes. We make the ultimate CR-29 encounter. <laughs> Thunderbirds, that every time a lightning strike l randomly hits, Thunderbird. it hits a tree, turns it into a sard. The sards are making more storm, attracting more birds. The birds are making more sards with their lightning strikes. This is a tough encounter. Let's have some fun. It's a positive feedback loop. We gotta stop it. Listen, there's all these, like, world-ending things. We're gonna freeze the world over. No one thinks we're just gonna have this loop that cycles on forever. We just create impossible to kill lightning boys. It is CR 19, so it's very hard to actually put this into a campaign. But this inspires me. This makes me almost want to make a countryside wilderness explanation campaign where a sard has come to life in whatever area, whatever country you live in, and it is running around city to city, destroying them. And the PCs, they can't fight a level, a CR-19 creature. They have to, like, explore around and avoid the destruction path of the Sard while they try and piece together a resistance and a way to stop it. Th this thing, like, screams to me like it is the backdrop threat to your entire campaign. It is the giant glowing lightning fist that is just waiting to punch the players and they don't know if it's going to strike. <laughs> Christian, let me tell you about the Toten Mask. It's a CR7 creature. This spindly, skeletal humanoid has moldy green flesh, long talons for hands, and a head that seems to be mostly mouth. Uh, when he says mostly mouth, it's like a Pac-Man head. He's ready to waka 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 all over your face. And it's really going to be going after you. Its fingers are like empty syringes, and when they stab you, they draw out your flesh dealing con damage and sickening you. Its bite eats the hopes and dreams of the person it bites, doing charisma dream. That's where I'm weakest, my hopes and dreams. <laughs> no, please don't, I have so little left. <laughs> they can disfigure people's faces, i.e. like cause the flesh to cover over your mouth matrix style and suffocate you to death or blind you. It can't be healed with anything other than surgery or expensive spells like restoration or regeneration these things are nasty here's here's what's really cool about them they can change shape to look like the people they stab with their claws and the way i always kind of thought of it was when they bite you and they get that charisma damage they sort of take some of your personality and with the claws they take your your physical aspect and they can perfectly mimic you or at least the dark side of you oh no oh no the only dream it siphoned off was to be a dancer it's sitting out there doing pirouettes <laughs> we've defeated it oh no caleb it, it sucked away your cat book dream <laughs> because everything new is either ability drain or ability damage these guys can be pretty tough especially in groups and i always like to use it to sort of like Add the little sort of uh, mental element of you're fighting yourself or you're fighting your allies. 
like, John, I really didn't want to see you naked. Well, I didn't want to be bitten and stabbed. It, it <laughs> took some of my liver. You think I had a choice in that? Got a question for you, Caleb. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like Magic Missile? The darkness. Nobody, nobody doesn't like Magic Missile. Everybody loves Magic Missile is the correct answer. That's a <laughs> okay, fact. sorry. The witch words are a race who are basically, I just consider them walking Magic Missiles. They are grayish blue skinned humanoid that wears fine red robes. The being has four arms, each ending in a three-fingered hand. They're very simple creatures, the witch words. They're very magically inclined, seven-foot-tall, kind of alien-esque creatures. But they have the ability to cast Magic Missile. And if you cast Magic Missile at them, one of their empty hands can catch the Magic Missile and throw Magic Missile back at you. Oh, They obviously have other spell-like abilities. They are magically inclined, but they're also quite powerful. I consider these more of an NPC than a beast. I wouldn't typically use these as something that the party has to fight, but they certainly could as a powerful, basically, spell knight in a sense. That's a new one for me. I actually never saw that one. I always moved by it. Fun fact, they also exist in Starfinder if you want to cast Magic Missile in space. Well, speaking of things that start with W, the Wendigo. This is a CR-17 creature, and it earned its CR. This hideous shape has the head of a feral elk with jagged teeth and sharp antlers. Its humanoid legs end in blackened, burnt stumps. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Oh, you're about to learn why that is, and you're going to regret asking. You're also going to regret asking, but if you want to put a W where the R should be, I'm not going to stop you, Elmer Fudd. (laughs) Similar, they kind of look similar to the whole, like, demon goat head symbol thing that you see in a lot of games. You certainly see in Doom, we've mentioned that before. Though they, they do reserve that exact art for the way Baphomet looks. But anyway, the art here has their forearm to their fingertips absolutely soaked with blood, like dripping with blood. These guys just look spooky. Here's what they can do. Drive you freaking insane for days, weeks, maybe months, tracking you down in the woods, making everything they do expose you to what is called Wendigo psychosis, which gives you wisdom drain once a day, and the only way to fix it is three consecutive saves. And when you reach Wisdom 1, you seek someone of your own race to kill and devour. After you do it, you sprint so fast into the sky, kind of like Airwalk, that your feet burn away into jagged stumps and you transform into a Wendigo. Oh, that's why they have I guess that makes sense. So now you have two Wendigos to deal with. So, all right, well, long as I don't contract the psychosis, everything will be okay, right? Okay, well, let's see. Let's see. If it howls at you, which has a mild distance, you're shaken or panicked or cower the closer you are to it. And what's that exposed to Wendigo psychosis? This thing has a nightmare ability where it'll haunt your dreams. If it doesn't, guess what? Exposed to Wendigo psychosis. It has wind walk where if it pins you, it can wind walk with you and take you somewhere miles away, usually like in a rural area and just leave you there. Guess what? Exposed to Wendigo psychosis. <laughs> Pretty much everything this does will expose you to when, aside from just basic actually attacking you, it won't expose you to Wendigo psychosis. That's about it. The Wendigo itself can be a whole story arc. Did I keep calling it Wendigo? I'm sorry. Every time I call it the Wendigo. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize, guys. The Wendigo. The, the Wendigo is a, I forget what the origin is, but it is an old folklore of a cannibal spirit. If you get the Wendigo spirit in you, you are driven to eat the flesh of others of your kind. This is a take on that. 
it has its own special flavoring with the whole rip you up into the air and burn your limbs away. That I think is really its cool. own special brand of horrific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is something great that this book does. Like everything is some things that do exist. They just put a little twist on it that I really like. They do use the Wendigo in one of the Pathfinder adventures. I won't say which one to very great effect. I very much enjoyed basically stalking the players with this because the Wendigo doesn't have to approach you to affect you with the Wendigo psychosis. It can kind of just stalk in the forest a mile away, just waiting to strike. It has telepathy for a whole mile. It's howling at you, messing with your brain, giving you nightmares, haunting your dreams. And by the way, if you do attack it, it's no pushover. Its bite is at a plus 26. It does 2d8 plus 9, plus 46 cold and grab. Claws, essentially the same thing. This thing is... And it's got rend if it hits you with both. The last creature I have on my list is the Dolhan, otherwise known as the Horseless Headsman. I mean the Headless Horseman. Clad in ragged black robes and tarnished armor, this grim, headless rider is surrounded by an aura of menace. CR7 creature, the Dolahan, is another undead creature, not necessarily a vengeance. This time, it simply seeks to take the souls of the guilty back to hell with it. The Dolahan is typically a particularly cruel person in life that has been reanimated to get more cruel souls into hell. Although, it does not really discriminate if a couple innocents get caught in the way. Oh well, more souls for hell. This is something I like a lot story-wise. Players might care who it was in life, why it's going after the people it's going after. But I like it. It's another one I like mechanically. The Dolahan indicates a single person that says, you know, I'm coming for your head. You're next. It's very likely that they are going to suffer from a very strong debuff against the Dolhan, And it basically becomes a game of protect that person from the Headless Horseman before they get their head cut off. I actually had this one on my list too. I've used it before, infamously to my players, used it to hunt the party, and I kind of made it so he could keep coming and coming. He would keep reforming wherever his head was, and it was hunting one of the players. And throughout, like, multiple seasons, it would keep coming up at the, like, by the time you forgot that it existed, we even traveled forward through time. Guess what? It's still hunting you, and it's going to show up. I think it's great for something as simple as it's a horse, a guy without a head, and he's got a sword. They do a good job. His blade does cold damage. It's got keen. Of course it does. It's trying to kill you. It's trying to cut off your head. <laughs> What's interesting is I did its death calling ability where it says your name and you become staggered and you failed all your stabilization checks and all that. And it gets like bonuses and stuff or something. I did that without knowing that's what it does. For some reason, I just said, you know what? It points at you and says... Hanzo Hattori, death has called your name and it comes after you, Hanzo. And he's like, oh, whatever. And then later on, I was looking at like, as I was like doing the battle, I'm like, oh, look, that's an actual ability. How did I and someone else think of the same thing? That's not like something the Dulahan does in, in other folklore. I don't know. That's it's, it's really weird, weird coincidences. And it can summon its mount, which is perfect. It needs to do that. That's cool. There, you're with me wherever I am. Like it's, it's coming out. Of, it's coming out of the bank, hunting you. Then there's its horse. I always enjoy creatures that incentivize fighting that isn't just five foot step full round action. When the dull hand declares someone as death calling, you need to react differently. Typically, you want to interpose yourself between that person and the Dolahan. You want to try and, you know, maybe aid another to increase their AC so the Dolahan doesn't kill them. Or I guess you could technically just full round action the Dolahan, but th that's neither here nor there. 
My last one is the Worm That Walks. It's a CR-14 creature. Although this robed wizard stands and moves like a man, his body is a writhing mass of swarming, slippery worms. When a powerful spellcaster with a strong personality, a lust for life, and a remorselessly evil soul dies and is buried in a graveyard infused with eldritch magic, a strange phenomena sometimes occurs. The flesh of the decaying body fats and instructs the very worms that gnaw, and these graveworms quick not only on corruption, but upon the spellcaster's memories and magical power. The spellcaster's very soul is consumed in this vile process, only to be split apart to inhabit each of the individual chewing worms and so many fragments. It's not undead. It is a hideous new form of undulant life. <laughs> Ooh, I love it, Christian. This is a cool spellcaster enemy. It's actually surprisingly hard to find just like full spellcasting enemies that like that's all they do. You're not finding a lot of, I, this is the wizard beast. This is the wizard monster, sorcerer monster. And it's cool to have this dude. He's just got from zero to seventh level spells, as well as some spell-like abilities. Plus all the cool traits he gets for being a worm that walks. He can discorporate into a swarm. He can squirming embrace, which if he does hit you with his slam, that does 1d4 minus one damage. Oh, that's not much, but it'll grab you. And if he grapples you, he's going to be doing swarm damage automatically. And he can stop grappling as long as he's next to you. He'll keep doing the damage. So he grapples you, the worms cover you, and then he kind of like takes most of his mass away from you. And as long as he's standing next to you, now he's focusing on your other allies. Meanwhile, you're trying to get the worms off of you. I'm so, so happy that there's a template here. One day, I will apply this template and be a worm that walks. I want so bad. It's amazingly overpowered. I'd have to be like a level one creature with the template to match a, a, a level 10 party. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do something. They have rules for it. I actually don't know exactly what the rules are, but they are there. And they do it automatically in the program I use. But uh, boy, it's, a, it's really amazing conceptually, all the cool abilities it has. I really, really love it. And I know I haven't said a lot, but I saved it for this one. It has absolutely amazing art. Seeing the, the worms all put together. This also has kind of like, it reminds me of, of Halo. The hunters, the things that came in pairs. Those things with the invincible armor. The thing with the energy weapon equivalent of rocket launcher strapped to their wrists. Yeah, those things were just worms that got together and said, hey, we're a person now. It's always nice to have a spellcaster enemy that isn't just guy that casts spells. Which they a lot of times end up being. This is a really cool deviation from just guy that casts spells much more interesting to talk to and face and understand he's probably of all the beasts in this book my favorite the second favorite is probably the hound of tindalos which of the ones you covered was your favorite i would say probably the mothman i think it is something that hmm. can drive a story in and of itself and i'm always looking for creatures that tell stories interesting well i've saved it for this moment christian welcome to caleb's art appreciation segment the Vulpinal Agathion, the fox person we talked about. Uh, pretty much the only Agathion I like the look of, to be honest. It's that cool little trinkets on its belt. The Movonic Deva. Don't mess with this angel, son. The Attic Whisperer. This thing resembles a gray, emaciated child with cobwebs and dust for clothes and a fox skull for a head. Art has him as a skeleton body, too. This is one of the... <laughs> one of those differences between the art and the description but i love it an attic whisperer spawns as the result of a lonely or neglected child's death oh that's kind of sad <laughs> the azada the burgeoning look it up you can obviously spell spell that out Just sound that out Brigidine. Brigidine. correct naked fire chick with super cool hair 
they love basking volcanoes. I love the idea of them just like it's like a hot tub to them. You just find one floating around. The Bodak, the Death Worm, the Immolation Devil, the Mud Golem, the Adamantine Golem, the Lamia Matriarch. Thank you for the Lamia. <laughs> Necrophediuses, which sounds like it's one of those things that can put you in prison. It's a snake skeleton with a human skull and snake jaws that's actually a construct and not an undead thing. The Petitioner, the Scylla, that's S-C-Y-L-A, the Serpent Folk, which, by the way, best snake person, better than the Vishkanya, better than Nagaji, best looking snake lizard type person, love it. And then I have a dishonorable mention, the Mithril Golem. It looks like a cartoon. However, I will give it this. It's got the T-1000 like liquid form from Terminator. Caleb, you left a very important piece of art out of that list and that is the slithering tracker. Its entry describes it perfectly. A long, moist streak. Oh, no. That's what? It. It's just like a puddle of darkness that slithers along the ground with two little eyes. Oh, it's kind of <laughs> cute. A little ray. Yeah, overall, I think the art in this book was excellent. Yeah, definitely. Pathfinder does a good job in their core line anyway of art, and the bestiary books are, are full of it because almost every page is it has a, a predominantly placed art. Some people buy art books. You can buy this just for the art. Get a lot of inspiration. I know artists in there uh, sometimes do that to get inspiration for their drawings. It's really good. So let's talk about our conclusions about the book. This book, I, I've struggled to try to, to to put a theme to this book. And so I really want to pass the question on to you, Christian. What is the theme of this book? For the, for the first one, I said the theme was the basics. What do you think the theme is for this guy? I think the theme of this book is the basics with a little extra. Whereas... Beachery 1 was mostly pre-existing lore, pre-existing creatures that we are aware of, like griffins and dragons. Mm -hmm. This book is kind of spin-offs of all those things. Most of these exist in some other capacity in some other lore set, but they take them and, like I said, they put little spins on them. It's not just the Headless Horseman, it's the Headless Horseman with a special ability with special lore. And I really like that. You're right, and and it got to introduce many of those monsters that are basic to the fantasy genre, the standards fantasy fair, with that twist. And I actually made a list here of all the sort of basic fantasy genre ones they've added. The Amphizibana. Sorry, that'll never happen. Sorry, guys, I can't just say that. Amphizibana. It's a snake with a head on each end. The Chupacabra, the Dragger, the Dulahan, the Hippogriff, the Jabberwock, which, by the way, is featured on the cover. The Lamia, the Leprechaun, the Mothman, the Poltergeist, Sandman, Spriggan, Scarecrow, Wendigo, the Great White Whale. <laughs> and they also added a lot of the Eldritch Lovecraftian slash cosmic horror stuff that I love and look for in every book. The Denizens of Lang, the Gug, the Hound of Tindalos that I said was my second favorite, the Lang Spider, the Nethagul. Sorry, guys, these are on purpose made weird. Thanks to Lovecraft. Thanks. Thanks, HP Lovecraft. <laughs> Serpent Folk, Shantak, the Worm That Walks. I wish I could tell you how many classic D&D monsters are included, but I can't because I'm not that familiar with classic D&D, unfortunately. I know there's some in here. Like, I know Azur is one of them. I'm uh, I'm willing to bet the Ifrit wasn't wholly original to Pathfinder, given that art. And then it also adds more of the basic options, like player options. We mentioned the player races that are, that are there, more animal companions. And especially happy that they introduced those templates to help you adjust beasts, monsters uh, for your party, for your encounters. 
So I actually really like what you said. The theme was basics expanded. Overall, I think this bestiary is excellent. Like when I was composing this list of the creatures I found most interesting, it was very difficult to pick. The vast mm-hmm. majority of creatures presented here are interesting in one way or another, whether it's from a mechanical perspective, a thematic perspective, or even just an art perspective. And I think the major strength of the book is that all of these creatures, the vast majority of them, are just the perfect amount of unique. They're not too unique where they become very difficult to implement because they adhere to a very specific idea and a very specific tone to your setting. But they're not just griffins. They're not just wendigos. They're these things, but with little spins on them so that when you include them, the players don't automatically know what's going to happen. There is more to it than meets the eye. So Christian, we come down to the final question. Do we recommend this book? Is it worth the money? It's $30 on Amazon, $45 on Paizo's website, $10 for the PDF. PDF 100%, $10 is well worth it. But a bestiary book is something that I think is worth it to have in physicality. So I think $30 or $45 would be a very acceptable price for this. I agree completely. I, I, I would buy the hardcover. Do it. Do it. <laughs> There's a. <laughs> I like how that has become so widespread. Game Grumps has made that so universal that if you have. If, if anyone who's relatively interested at all and knows anything about the internet hears the words do it, they immediately like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I, I say hardcover, by the way, it's a holdover. Now they release the core books in softcover. So I should just say buy the, buy the book, buy the physical book. They're coming out in softcover now so that you can easily transport them. They call them pocket editions. But yeah, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Good, good beast, Jerry. Good book. All right, Christian, we've put it off too long. I think our next book review has to be the core book. It's going to be tackling a big one. But yeah, that's a lot of pages. It's like at least 80 pages. Yeah, it is. You know, we we covered the Ultimate Wilderness book pretty extensively. I think we learned some lessons. We got some feedback. People liked it. Since the core book's so big, we might not be able to cover it quite so comprehensively. But that's the sort of the way with all the reviews. They're not the overviews. We're not giving you everything you need to know so you can listen to the episode and just play the thing or do the thing. Uh, It's sort of giving you an idea of what's in the book, whether or not it's good and whether or not we we like it or recommend it. But uh, yeah, I look forward. That's going to be, it's going to, we're tackling a big one, but I think it's an important one and and long overdue. Next book we're going to do is the core rule book. Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.